Welcome to Otaku Brothers, your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast featuring Rusty and Ryan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 145 of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty, and as always, I'm joined by my forever co-host and brother-in-law. Two episodes in one week, Ryan, the things we do for love. How you doing? I'm doing good. It's exhausting recording this much in mm. one week. Yeah. Uh, it's actually my third or fourth recording this week. Four? So we recorded two episodes, Monday, Tuesday? Yeah, so yeah, Monday, Tuesday was here, and then I got to go on to the Tarkaron show and then now i'm here i'm back it's like good the third time having to see you this week friends over at tarkaron do you, i heard you did some box art battles yes it battles was? it was a lot of fun good stuff well stay tuned for that out there on the old youtubes but you're here to listen to otaku brothers where ryan and i talk about video games movies tv shows anything we dang darn please because that's what we do here on the show and today we have a jam-packed super fun agenda one i cannot wait to get to in the back half of the show we're going to be doing a blowout original game boy retrospective we call it destiny island challenge here on otaka brothers we'll get into the finer details of what the segment means what we're going to do but you can expect top five list fun facts trivia sales num- it's sales numbers it's going to be a really good time but we also each and every time we record the podcast, talk about our weeks, talk about the games we've been playing recently, and because it's only been like four or five days, I'm not sure <laughs> how much more we'll have to report since last episode, but probably a thing or two. Ryan, how's your week been going? It's been good. Um, like I said, it's just been busy, mostly recording. Thursday, I didn't record anything. Um, I spent the day cleaning my mm. apartment, like deep cleaning my apartment. Because uh, tonight I'm having some of my coworkers come over for a Super Smash Bros. night. Nice. Um, which should be a lot of fun. Um, Friday was just prepping notes, and now I'm here. So it's it's not a lot of to do this week, or not mm. a lot done. Okay. But Good what about stuff. you? More the same. Yeah, so I was getting the episode 144 out the door. If you missed that, definitely go back and check it out. Ryan talked about, Ryan and I talked about remasters versus remakes, you know, in this age of Video games continuing to be remastered and remade, especially with The Last of Us Part 1. There's some controversy surrounding it, but Ryan and I had some fun recording that one, talking about games that we think could benefit from both a remaster and a remake. We got a lot of listener involvement, too. It was a pretty fun discussion. Yeah, it was. So go check that out. But So I was editing that earlier this week, getting that out the door, and then also, because we recorded earlier in the week on a weeknight... I was drinking some coffee, Mm -hmm. so I was super hyped up, and I hadn't done a lot of preparation for this particular episode, so I was pulling down a a lot of notes for that, recording a lot of fun stuff that we'll play later in the show, and then outside of that, did get some very exciting news yesterday. If you've been listening to the podcast for the past six or seven months or so, I won't go into all the finer details. You can go back and hear the long, drawn out stories about it, but long story short, My wife and I, we bought a house back in 2020. The previous owners did not do a lot of ongoing maintenance to it. And back in 2010, they had the roof replaced and they did kind of a shoddy job on it. And so Lauren and I are kind of paying the price for that uh, figuratively and literally. Mm -hmm. So back in late February-ish timeframe, basically a mama raccoon chewed into the top of our roof, 
burrowed into the back of our home, laid or gave birth to five little raccoon babies, and we couldn't patch up that hole until we got all the raccoons out of the house, which was a three-month process. So we had a lot of water damage into our home because anytime it rained, all that water went right down our shingles, right into that hole and out seeping through our walls. So it was a pretty stressful time. That's why I played about 14 and a half Assassin's Creed games over the past (laughs) six months. But uh, it was a good time playing those games to kind of take my mind off the stress of homeownership. But yesterday... We, after battling with insurance, have finally agreed between uh, a price, a quote that our roofer is going to be able to supply the materials, perform the labor, replace the roof, replace our siding. And for almost next to no cost out of pocket for Lorne and I, I say next to nothing. When you're talking about roof costs and replacing it yeah, and siding, a big range. <laughs> yeah, there's a big range in, you know, all things considered, we're paying next to nothing, which is definitely a nice relief. Lauren and I are going on vacation next weekend. We're going to an island, so it's going to be nice time to really uh, just unplug, not think about the house, not think about the raccoons that were running amok for several months, and just, I don't know, finally feel comfortable living in this home. Yeah, no, that's great news. I mean, you've been suffering pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um Hopefully it doesn't rain when you're down there so you can actually celebrate and Yeah. Um do you, how long does it take to replace a roof? Like do they give an estimate on like it's a week or 3 days? Normally or? a day's work. Oh really? I mean that unless quick? so yeah the only thing that they'll run into that we haven't accounted for yet in the pricing is some of the the boards underneath the shingles. Mm. So we're already well aware of some areas on a roof where it's dipping a little bit. Yeah. So we know that those boards are going to have to be replaced and that'll be uh, an additional cost out of pocket to us. But I mean, it's not like they're going to, unless they literally un, you know, re- remove the shingles and there's all kinds of weird mold growing somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't anticipate that to be the fact um, or a reality, but it should be a day's work. And then the siding material takes uh, an additional week or two to get that material. Okay. So they'll probably replace the roof. We also have two skylights that are also leaking into our kitchen. They're replacing those as well. That'll be a day's work. And then whenever the siding gets in, that'll probably be a day or two's work as well. So what are you going to do without that whole distraction and debacle in your life? Are you going to find a new project? I'm going to have to find more headspace for other stress. You know, yeah. like, I mean, that is going to be leaving my I mean, head. I'm gonna how else be- are you going to get gray hairs quicker? I know, I mean, dude. Come on. <laughs> this this receding hairline of mine has you know accelerated significantly these past six months, and I mean that. Yeah, I'm pretty serious about that. Like it is, stress is no joke, it, my no, friends. No, it is not. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm just glad that that's it's behind us. We're moving forward, and we're ready to be regular homeowners that focus on remodeling our bathrooms and worrying about the backsplash in our kitchen or replacing our carpet like the fun stuff yeah getting or back working to the, out in the yard and painting your deck getting back yeah. to the game room construction you know the things that matter good so, yeah that's good news so i'm glad that is behind us and we're looking forward to our vacation here in a week but beyond that ryan this is a video game podcast people don't want to hear about my roof and raccoons and all that nonsense they only only want to hear about raccoons when we're talking about Sly Cooper, but I don't think you played Sly Cooper this week. No, I did not. I didn't play a ton of games this week, just being super busy and all. Um, last week I talked about Spider Man. We were trophy hunting a bit, going or playing on the hardest difficulty for the first Spider Man game, 
And I did a maybe couple more levels. I got to go to Duck Ox Lair, fight a few people, finished up the first kind of boss, the main mission. Um, but not too far into Spider-Man. Mm. I know you played a little bit of Spider-Man as well. How far did you get? I got about 10% on the, like, that's what it says it's 10%. Right now, though, I'm just flying around the map and doing the uh, de-scramble the radio towers. Okay. Because in the beginning of the game, if you haven't played Insomniac's Marvel's Spider-Man, in the very beginning of the game, something happens where all the radio towers get knocked out. You have to go de-scramble, perform this little puzzle, and it basically obscures or uh, clears up the map so you can actually see uh, the other objectives that are scattered around Manhattan. Okay. That might be the next thing I have to do. Um, That's good. The only other game that I played this week was Super Smash Bros., um i downloaded it because it's been a while since i played uh, i think the last time i played was with zach from Tarkaron, mm. which was probably over a year ago um, so i was missing the second character pack so i ended up getting that um, that has sephiroth that has sora that has pyra for xenoblade chronicles 2 oh. um, and then it has like this punchy girl with elastic arms I ended up trying out the characters. Sora's moveset, I'm not the biggest fan of, um, but just it's nice having Sora in there. Um, Seth- Sephiroth is pretty cool. Mm. He seems like he's pretty powerful, and he's got the kind of the weeb uh, ninja set um, or katana type moveset, which is really clean. Um, and then I ended up really liking Pyra, mm, okay. probably my favorite character from the second set of DLC characters. Um, so she has the base Pyra, which is just the normal look. Um, really strong kind of fire-based move, so more of your tanky type defense. Um, and then you have a switch-out character that you have who is... I never got there in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, but I think it's like a goddess. She has like blonde hair. She's more of the fast, long-range type moves. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a good balance. It's a lot of fun to play. Um, so I played a bit of that last night. Cool. Uh, yeah. You gonna go back to Xenoblade Chronicles two anytime soon? Nope. Uh, that's why I gave it away to you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, is that a bit about it for? Yeah, that's week? it for me this okay. week. Okay. Cool. Uh, you're, you're gonna get down with some Mario Party superstars tonight. I am probably Mario Kart, um, Mario Kart Smash, and probably Party. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, well, for me this week, like we were saying, didn't get a chance to play too many games. Made a little bit more progress in Ease 8. By that, I mean, like, maybe an hour more. Nothing more to report on that. As you were saying, played a bit more Marvel Spider-Man. I only need tr- two more trophies to get all of the trophies in Marvel Spider-Man. So, working my way through New Game Plus now and Ultimate Difficulty. Hasn't been too difficult so far, but I've only been in kind of those introductory little fight sequences. Yeah. So, no boss fights really to this point, except for the big dude. The very Yeah, big did dude. you find him to be difficult? No. Yeah, I didn't either. No, not too bad. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I'm sure it'll get pretty challenging pretty fast. Yeah, once you get into the harder gangs, it's going to be really hard. Yeah, yeah. But looking forward to it. Fun, fun game to have in the background at night while listening to a podcast or Twitch stream. And then I did want to have some quick podcast or, or uh, yeah, quick podcast impressions for a game since we only had a few days between recordings. And so I was going through the old PlayStation Plus service, and now that I have like Premium or Ultimate, whatever. Uh, PlayStation Plus that I upgraded to and I was looking through a lot of like the kids and family games and also some of the classics catalog and so downloaded the original Ape Escape on PS1 played that for about an hour or two and it's fun man I mean 
there's certain games from the PS1 era that, you know, as you were talking about when you were discussing Toy Story 2 mm-hmm. a few weeks back, that the camera control can be really finicky, kind of a challenge to get your head around. Uh, nowadays, that we're so used to kind of analog control, moving the camera around or just auto moving mm-hmm. from the camera. Just good controls in general. <laughs> yeah, that, that's <laughs> a better way of putting it. And uh, Ape Escape definitely suffers from a little bit of that camera stuff going on, but um, it introduced, you know, probably one of the first games that introduced analog control with the PlayStation 1 controller, and you use that to flick the little net to catch the little monkeys. Okay. Which is really fun. And Ape Escape, you know, you go into each of these levels, you have anywhere from like two to six of these little monkeys to catch, you kind of run around, fun little techno uh, soundtrack playing in the background, you know, you're tapping your toe a little bit to tunes. Yeah. It's a good time. It really feels like these kind of short bursts of arcade uh, it's like a short burst. You play in short bursts, and it kind of feels like an arcade experience. Okay, nice. So, uh, Ape Escape, slowly making my way through that. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll play it to completion. But Does it can... have trophies? Oh, yeah. Okay. Why, why would I okay. download it if it didn't have trophies? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a stupid question. I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> Get out of here with that. You got plenty of silvers, plenty of golds. But, no, Ape Escape's a good time. Uh, definitely a product or uh, of its time. Mm-hmm. Shows yeah. its age quite a bit, but it's still fun to play. Uh, especially as part of the service. I, I don't know if I'd play or pay money for this one, but good time nonetheless. Cool. Fun little PS1 game. And then the other one that I downloaded, I was looking through the kids and family section. You know, we have a couple Lego games in there, but I ended up downloading a game called Harvest Moon Mad Dash. Not a big farming sim person. My wife, very big into Rune Factory, Harvest Moon, all of those farming sim adjacent type games. But Harvest Moon Mad Dash, the name kind of caught my eye because I was like, that just doesn't seem like a traditional Harvest Moon game. Mm-hmm. So I watched the trailer and it's basically an overcooked clone, but using the Tetris kind of puzzle elements where you're in these little square grids. You have all these different crops and you have to match these Tetris block crops together to be able to harvest all the vegetables You're on a timer and you're trying to accumulate as many points as possible in that confined amount of time to rank up or get the three-star ranking in each of the different levels. That sounds fun. So if you've played Overcooked and you kind of mash that together with the Tetris puzzle solving uh, with the different different blocks, that's Harvest Moon Mad Dash. Did it come out after Overcooked? Did you check? Oh, probably. Okay. Probably, yeah. I mean, it borrows pretty heavily from it yeah so if you have the playstation plus premium service or even if you don't and you're you know you've exhausted overcooked one and two and some of the other games that play similarly to that check out harvest moon mad dash you can probably get it for relatively cheap and again if you have or you've upgraded to the the newer playstation plus service harvest moon mad dash it's it's a pretty good time and i've only played single player knocked out like 10 to 15 levels yesterday just to kind of uh get some brief impressions for the podcast, but mm-hmm. I think it's probably best played with a few friends. Yeah. Does it go up? How many players is the max? Up to four people. Okay. Nice. A good party game. Yeah. So check out Harvest Moon, Mad Dash, Ape Escape. It's a classic on the PS1, but that's about all I've been playing. I actually did go back and dabble in uh, Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor. Okay. The first game, because I did check out my trophies for both Shadow of Mordor and War and I only needed like eight to ten trophies for each of them. Are they difficult trophies? 
they're really hard. I mean, as much as I was applauding the Nemesis system uh, for being so unique and original when it first came out and still is to this day, a lot of the trophies are centered around, you know, go up to a, a captain, have him kill you so that he rises in ranks to a war tree- chief, then kill all of his bodyguards, then go and find out what his weaknesses are. Like, it's Jeez. it's really involved. <laughs> and where I'm at in the game where... If you're not familiar with the Nemesis system, it's almost like a chessboard uh, where you have a hierarchy and lower level orcs all the way to war chiefs. They're kind of the the cream of the crop captains. And pretty much across the entire chessboard of orcs, I've all or I've uh, summoned all of them to be under my power. Okay. And so it's difficult for me to be able to execute on a lot of these trophies where I have to take over certain guys. So if I'm ever going to get the platinum, I'd probably have to start a new file, mm. which at this point, I'm just going to hold out hope that we get some type of PS5 patch in the future. That would be your second or third time. You've gone through it twice already. This will be my third time through Mordor. Okay. I've gone through war only once. Okay. So, um, yeah, those trophies don't sound fun. No, all. it was, it was, a, I mean, immediately when I started and I started looking up some of the guides, I just uninstalled the game. I was like, <laughs> Like yeah. no, I have no interest. Nah. I have no interest in grinding this out. This does not sound fun, um, especially yeah. coming off the heels of talking so highly about it on the podcast. Here, you don't want to d- diminish it. Yeah, I was like, I look so fondly on that experience. I'll look forward to maybe going after that uh, and having those trophies in mind when I'm playing it for the umpteenth time on PS5 some someday. But right now, no, man. I'll just I'll keep the positive experience in the back of my mind and move on. Good. So, yeah, that's a smart move. Good stuff, right? Well, that's about it. Again, we we just recorded a couple days ago, so not much on the life updates or games played segment, but we have a whole heck of a lot of stuff to talk about as it relates to the original Game Boy, so I don't think we should waste any more time. I don't think so either. Let's get into it. I think we should get right into this Game Boy retrospective. I briefly talked about this during our last recording, but would you believe if I told you today that the Game Boy recently celebrated its 33rd birthday? Yeah, it's crazy it's been that long. Wild stuff, wild stuff, and I still managed to find lots of fun little advertisements to plug into the back half of the show here, but if you are new to this podcast, or better yet, you've never heard us record the Destiny Island Challenge segment, let me bring you up to speed. 
So lots of people talk about, you know, if you were on a deserted island, what would be the five to 10 games you would bring with you? And many moons ago, I would say maybe a year and a half, two years ago or something like that, Mm -hmm. you and I were thinking of new episode ideas, new themes, new reoccurring segments for the show. And I thought of, well, let's take the desert island idea and kind of blow it out of the water a little bit, kind of expand upon it. And so Ryan and I, gathered together, made a little spreadsheet of all of the home consoles and all of the handheld consoles. And we thought, let's not just pick a console and talk about, you know, the top five games for the system. Let's let's pick the system and do kind of a retrospective of sorts. Let's do, you know, an introduction. What is the system? When did it release? What were some of the best-selling games on it? Mm-hmm. What games did it launch with type of deal? But then let's also really kind of comb through the internet and try and find some fun and unique facts because we've talked about it a number of times, Ryan. This is an educational program. Yes, that it is. Yeah, so we try and educate the good people that, you know, tune in every once in a while to the show. So we have fun facts that we want to talk to all of you fine people about. And then we want to get into that list of five games that we would take to a deserted island. And the way I think about it, maybe I'm kind of alone in this this thinking, but my top five games for a system would be a little bit different than the top five games I take to a deserted island. I completely agree. Because you would want to have a mix of genres when you go to an island, whereas, you know, if you're just sitting at home and you have your entire library of games, your top five picks might be kind of based in nostalgia, uh, among other kind of factors that would go into that ranking. Yeah. I mean, you're based, I mean, if you're, stuck in a deserted island for like eternity you're going to want games that you can replay a lot mm-hmm. that you're not going to get super bored with mm-hmm. so usually like top five top 10 games you're having like god of war which is a one-time playthrough and you're it's not a ton of replayability exactly. yeah yeah um, or horizon where it's like i can't play through this for 400 hours and still want to be alive on this island so. exactly yeah you got to mix it up have a fun little smorgasbord of genres for sure and then what i started doing so to this point to kind of other also bring people up to speed ryan and i started off the segment doing i believe the sega genesis mm-hmm. then we also did the nintendo gamecube yep and now we're kind of shifting gears a little bit and starting the handheld list of things with the original game boy Now, when I did the GameCube segment, Ron and I love listening to video game music on this podcast. We have another segment where we kind of just listen to some of our favorite tunes from some of our favorite games and kind of share memories related to them. We call it Memory of Melodies. But the other thing that I did in preparation for this particular episode is I edited together a 10-song medley that will fade out the show with. So I pulled 10 random... I mean, there was some strategy to it, but I pulled 10 original Game Boy songs, edited it all together, so we'll fade out the show, reminiscing, listening to some banging, slapping, toe-tapping tunes from the original Game Boy. It's a great compilation. I was... (laughs) Rusty showed it to me when we recorded earlier this week, and I was jamming out to uh, some Ninja Gaiden this week. (laughs) Yeah, spoilers. There's some really really great tune so uh you know a little test for yourselves as a listener get some pen and paper and when the medley starts try and scratch down the 10 songs that play 
get back to us, send us an email. It'll be a fun little prize for anyone that gets all 10 songs. We'll ship you out something real nice. I'll tell you next episode what the prize is. Maybe I won't, but uh, <laughs> you'll get a little personal pride. Nice. If you know the 10 yeah, tunes. Good luck. It's going to be a good time. So strap in, folks. This is going to be a blowout, original, Game Boy, retrospective, Ryan and I are also going to share our personal memories with the console. It's going to be good times. But to really kick things off, maybe you've lived under, under a rock. Maybe you were born yesterday or, you know, 10 years ago, and your first handheld console was like the Nintendo 3DS or something like that. You don't even know that the Game Boy exists. You've never seen one. You've never played one. It's like those, you know, kids that were born in 2001. They don't even know what a rotary phone is. Fucking youth. Yeah, they, they don't even know what a VHS <laughs> tape is. So, or a floppy drive. I'm here or, or to dungarees. In, dungarees. Jeans. It's like a really old people way of saying jeans. Oh, I thought you like mispronounced dunkaroos or something. Yeah, close. Yeah, but uh, what we got to do first? We've got to get bring the people up to speed. What is the original Game Boy? Let's talk about it. They said it wasn't humanly possible. All the power and excitement of Nintendo right in the palm of your hand. Introducing Game Boy. It's portable. It's in stereo. And its games are interchangeable. Game Boy comes complete with batteries and the outrageous new game Tetris. And for head-to-head competition, use Video Link and blow your opponent away. Game Boy. Only from Nintendo. Now you're playing with power. Portable power. So a little history lesson here, Ryan. The original Game Boy is an 8-bit handheld game console developed and manufactured by none other than Nintendo. The first handheld in the Game Boy family, it was first released in Japan on April 21st, 1989. The console was released in North America later the same year, then in Europe in late 1990. It was designed by the same team that developed the Game & Watch series of handheld electronic games in several Nintendo Entertainment System games. Their names were, and bear with me here, I apologize if I mispronounce anything on this podcast episode, I know I will. Sataru Okada, Gunpei Yokoi, and Nintendo Research and Development. It combines features from both the NES home system and Game & Watch hardware. The console features a dot matrix screen with adjustable contrast dial, five game control buttons, so we have a directional pad, two game buttons, and start and select, a single speaker with adjustable volume dial, and, like its rivals, uses cartridges as physical media for games. At launch, it cost a whopping $89.99, and it was sold as either a standalone unit or bundled with one of several games. Among them were Super Mario Land and the classic puzzle game Tetris. Several accessories were also developed, including a carrying pouch, a Game Boy camera, and a printer. Oh, crap. Wild stuff. Wild stuff. Apparently, that uh, $89.99 price was really undercutting the competition, which was closer to like $150 up to like $200 plus. Oh, really? So, so th- it was, they really undercut the market, which helped their sales a ton. And I think in the fun facts, I might get into some of the competing handheld devices. The only one that I can think of off the top of my head at the time was the Atari Lynx. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so interesting stuff. Bundle games aside, it launched in North America with five distinct games, those being Alleyway, Baseball, Super Mario Land, Tetris, and Tennis. Dude, I love it when sports games back in the day were just literally titled the sport themselves. Golf, Tennis, Baseball, (laughs) Water Polo. 
Uh, good stuff. So yeah. quick little you introduction. You won't see that nowadays. No, it's like Madden. <laughs> FIFA 2016 plus other people's games here now, not just baseball. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just takes up the entire packaging with words. Yeah, so what I did is I also pulled some sales numbers. I wanted to get the list of 10 best-selling games. I had to be mindful of not including any Game Boy Color games because this episode, I should have prefaced this uh, whole introduction piece with this fact uh, or statement that we're not including anything Game Boy Color related necessarily when it comes to the fun facts, best-selling games, and the picks that Ryan and I have for our top five games. We also encourage the listeners, we'll get to some emails here in the back half of the show or at the tail end of the episode, we encouraged everyone to stay on the Game Boy, the original Game Boy mm-hmm. picks. So um, what do you say we get into some of the sales numbers and best-selling games? Yeah, let's do it. Obey me, Wario. I am your master. Mario is your enemy. The wicked imposter Wario has cast an evil spell over Mario Land. Don't let Mario get the six golden coins. Don't let Mario reach the palace. This is the biggest, most dangerous, most challenging Game Boy adventure yet. Obey Wario. Destroy Mario. Don't fall under Wario's evil spell in Super Mario Land 2 only on Game Boy. <laughs> so more than 118.69 million units of both the Game Boy and Game Boy Color combined have sold worldwide. So I did include, I guess, a little Game Boy Color fact here. With 32.47 million units in Japan, 44.06 million in the Americas, and 42.16 million in other regions. I feel like there was no way, when we were kids anyways, you could go around the, you know, uh, the playground. People weren't whipping out their Game Boys. No, if you didn't have a Game Boy or a Game Boy Color, you were the loser kid. Mm-hmm. Like, we played basically pokemon on the playground Mm -hmm. exercise eh you just get up in that jungle gym and pull out your game boy heck yeah dude the good old days by japan fiscal year or uh, by the japanese fiscal year 1997 before game boy colors release in late 1988 or 1998 excuse me 64.42 million units of the game boy had been sold worldwide pretty staggering numbers it is it's big and fun fact the japanese fiscal year starts in april oh okay like January, like the American fiscal year. Interesting. Good stuff. Okay. Well, let's get into the top 10 best-selling games, Ryan. I'd love to play a little trivia game here with you. Okay. So hopefully you're not looking too much at the show notes here and uh, or episode notes that I have here going on. And the listeners, it'll be a fun exercise and a guessing game here for all you fine people too. But wager to guess what the best-selling... Well, do you want to go 1 to 10 or 10 to 1? What do you think would be more fun? Uh, Probably 10 to 1. Let's do 10 to 1. I don't think you're going to get number 10, so I'll go ahead and share that one with you. F1 Race, Mm. 3.41 million copies, and this game released November 9th, 1990. Okay. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have gotten that one. Number 9 is a game you've heard of, or at least a series you've heard of. Want to take a guess? Trying to think of big games. I'm assuming the Mario-type games are higher on the list. Probably a safe Um, assumption. You have some RPGs in there. Um, one of the RPGs I saw was like Final Fantasy Legends or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't, maybe that sold pretty well. 
Is that it? Number nine is The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening Uh, with 3.83 million copies. And this game released on June 6th, 1993, three months after my birthday. Okay. Interestingly enough. Down with Zelda from the very start. I got the heart, it's Mars to play the part. Down with Zelda. And coming in at number eight, I'll just kind of rattle this one off here. Donkey Kong Land, 3.91 million copies sold. Wow. And this one was released on June 26, 1995. Kind of a late Donkey Kong. Like or middle a, generation. Kind of a late of release because there were three Donkey Kong Land games on the original Game Boy. So interesting stuff there. And uh, number seven, you want to take a stab at this one? Well, if we've already done Zelda and we've already done Donkey Kong, maybe Kirby Dreamland? Kirby's Dreamland coming in at number seven. 5.13 million copies sold for a little pink friend. And this one released on April 27th, 1992. So good stuff there. Number six. Well, if we're going big name characters, Yoshi, maybe? Is that top 10? No, no Yoshi no. in the top 10. Although my boy Yoshi should have made there. Made Mario there Land 2? Wario Land, okay. Super Mario Land 3, with 5.19 million copies sold, and this one released January 21st, 1994. Mm. Now we're getting to the top five, Ryan. Okay, these are big. The heavy hitters. What I, do you think is uh, squeaking in at that number five spot? I'm thinking Shaq Fu. <laughs> That's a solid number five. <laughs> no. 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 Uh, yeah, this is actually Michael Jordan in the Windy City. Okay. Hey, at least I'm in the ballpark. (laughs) (laughs) Or just basketball, the game. No, I'm kidding. Number five is Dr. Mario. 5.34 million copies sold. Shaq's a doctor. Dr. Mario. That was close. Uh, You're thinking of Dr. Dre. Yeah. Well, one of the doctors. He's actually a doctor in education. Is he really? Yeah. Good for him. Dr. Shaq or Dr. O'Neill. Good for him. <laughs> I don't give a shit about his accomplishments unless it's in basketball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the release date on that one is July 27th, 1990. Good stuff. Have you ever played Dr. Mario? No, I no, I have not. I think it's a Tetris knockoff, if I remember correctly. Okay, that that would make sense where he's, why he's like throwing pills and stuff in Smash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Called the witch doctor, he told me what to do. He said, Oogie, ooh, ah, ah, tang, tang, wada, wada, bing, bang. That means play Dr. Mario on Game Boy or NES. Tang, tang, wada, wada, bing, bang. I beat the witch doctor, and this is what he said. He said, Ooh, ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, tang, tang, wada, wada, bing, bang, oogie, ah, ah. And then he struck my head. All right, moving to number four, we have Super Mario Land 2, the six golden coins. Largely, you know, kind of talked about as being one of the best Game Boy games, one of the most well-known for sure, and uh, just an interesting, weird little Mario game. But this has sold 11.18 million copies, released on October 21st, 1992. Ryan, I feel like the top three you you should be able to get. So what do you think is coming in at number three here? 
probably, I mean, if we're going with the other games, it's probably in the Mario verse. Mm-hmm. We got Wario, um, pro- Mario stuff. So probably Mario Land, yep. Super Mario Land, Super Mario Land, the first game in that little series. Eighteen point one four million copies sold. Released April fourteenth, nineteen eighty nine, uh, which I think was in alignment with the actual release of the Game Boy there in Japan. Number two, what do you think we got here? This would probably be one of the launch games, which is Tetris. Yes, sir. Tetris with 35 million copies sold. And uh, again, the release date for this is in alignment with the launch of the console. And then coming in at number one with a staggering 46.02 million copies sold. Ryan, what do we got? Pokemon Red and Blue. Hell yeah. I mean, technically they have listed here red, green, blue, yellow because green released in Japan. And uh, yeah, so I think the sales numbers across those four games, wow, 46 million started the Pokemon craze back in the day. And man, was I there for it. I was definitely there for it. Yeah. Good stuff. So curious, you know, any of the listeners, did you get any of the, the top 10? Did you get all of them? Definitely write in, get in the discord, link in the show notes. Or uh, shoot us a little note. We're talking about this podcast at gmail.com. But speaking of fun things, Ryan, we got some fun facts. Nice. I think I've got nine of these. Okay. Pulled some fun stuff over a number of different articles. I try to do a little bit of stretching for this because, you know, whether it's the Genesis or the GameCube, most of the well-known fun facts or most of the fun facts are kind of well-known among the people that probably listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. They're they're kind of well-educated in the video game space, if you will. But hopefully that you learn a thing or two and you would consider some of these facts fun. And I try to name each of them based on the fact I pulled. So this first one, the best, but not the first. The Game Boy is not actually the first handheld game machine with interchangeable cartridges. That was the Microvision released in 1979 and described as a program- programmable electronic game system by its manufacturer, toy giant Milton Bradley. Interestingly, the console itself was just a container with a small screen. Each game cart had its own central processor and memory chip. Oh, wow! and the machine was bundled with a clone of the classic Atari game Breakout named Block or Blockbuster. Ten years later, one of the Game Boy launch games was Alleyway, a clone of, yes, the classic Atari game, Breakout. Nice. little fun fact there for you. It's crazy it took 10 years after the original. Yeah. It is kind of wild. It is kind of wild. Next up, we have portability over performance, which I believe Nintendo is known for 33 years later. Yes, that really defines the Switch. <laughs> <laughs> While rival handheld consoles like the Atari Lynx and Sega Game Gear boasted expensive hardware and battery-zapping color displays, the Game Boy was comparatively cheap thanks to its dated C80-based CPU. And while the 2.5-inch screen could barely handle four different grays, the console promised up to 30 hours of play on four AA batteries, which made it more useful, as the hugely successful Wii console later confirmed by easily outselling the technically superior PS3 and 360. Looks aren't everything. That's very true. But I'm still open for that Switch Pro Plus, yeah, plus n- new edition. PS4 processor. <laughs> yeah. We're hoping for it. Hopefully coming here pretty soon with the uh, the release of Breath of the Wild 2. But next up, Ryan, gotta catch them all. 
and I'm not talking about Pokemon. Mm. In 1998, Bandai launched the Game Boy Pocket Sonar, a fish-finding gadget that attached to the console, allowing frustrated anglers to locate their prey. The device was able to spot fish at depths of up to 20 meters and displayed their whereabouts on the Game Boy screen. Tragically, it was only ever available in Japan. That's crazy. Isn't that pretty wild? Yeah, I I wouldn't have seen that one coming. Yeah, I mean, we knew about the Game Boy printer, the Game Boy camera. Or like an attachable light or something yeah. on like Game Boy Color. But yeah, not a fish finder. <laughs> yeah, kind of wild stuff. But uh, yeah, interesting enough, even though it only released in Japan. Next up, Game Boy, a space oddity. In 1993, Cosmonaut, good lord, uh, we got Alexander A. Sarabrov. I'm sorry, Alexander, if I mispronounce your name 33 years later. Took his Game Boy along on the Soyuz TM-17 space mission to the MIR station. The console orbited the Earth 3,000 times before safely returning with its owner. The machine was later included in an auction of space travel memorabilia held at the Bonhams in New York along with a note from Sarabrov, which explains, Like all cosmonauts, I love sport. My particular favorites are football and swimming. During flight and rare minutes of leisure, I enjoyed playing Game Boy. It sold for $1,220. Wow. That's cool. I feel like most astronauts would have to take some type of a little handheld device with them nowadays. Yeah, I feel like you'd get bored. Or, I mean, just seeing a Game Boy float around would be kind of cool. Would be kind of neat. Yeah. Next up, we have Let There Be Light. The Game Boy Light, a Japanese-only release, a Japanese-only release and released in 1998, had a, had a built-in backlight screen allowing people to play in low-light conditions. An insane concept for those used to the used to the original that needed the add-on clip light when it got even slightly dark. Yeah, it's crazy that the first North American release was the SP for this backlight, and they had that way back in the Game Boy. So, era. interestingly enough, my mom's husband now, my stepdad, mm-hmm. um, his son actually tragically passed away in a car accident many years ago, but his son had a Game Boy growing up. But for whatever reason, he didn't have the original Game Boy. He had the Game Boy Light. Oh. So, my stepdad, when I met my um when obviously I met him for the first time, he knew that I was really big into game, uh, big into video games, and he gifted me his son's Game Boy Light. Oh, that's really cool. So I have a Game Boy Light. If you're interested in in seeing it, uh, you can go on YouTube and probably find much better footage than my you know 240p nonsense. But I did a review of the Game Boy Light on my YouTube channel <laughs> like 10, 12 years ago. Uh, so check that out. But yeah, it's a really cool little device, and it's gold. Oh, like the console itself is made out of 20 karat gold. So wow, mm-hmm. that's a relic. Yep. <laughs> probably really heavy too. <laughs> <laughs> it's not actually not as cool. handheld as they wanted it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, heavy, next up we have built Game Boy Tough. In the New York Nintendo World Store, a Game Boy sits proudly on show, which survived a Gulf War barracks bombing. The oh. mangled handheld still displays a picture clearly. Wow. So, pretty wild stuff. Pretty durable little machine. Yeah, bring it to space, bring it to war. Mm-hmm. Play some Mario or <laughs> catch some Pokemon. <laughs> I think that was one of their main taglines back yeah. in 1989. Gotta catch them all. Yep. All the frags. 
I'm glad you find that funny. Yeah, I do. I'm caffeinated to hell. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, we have putting LAN parties to shame. The Game Boy allowed for multiplayer via link cables, usually four people at most. Then handhelds first-person shooter Faceball 2000 (laughs) released in 1991, and it changed the four people at most limit. With an interlope of cables and adapters resembling Spaghetti Junction, 16 players could link up and play together. Wow. What is Faceball? I don't know, man. Wasn't on my top five Yeah, no, that was definitely not on my list. But can you imagine 16 people huddled around, tangled with wires, playing playing a game cooperatively or uh, multiplayer? No, not at all. Yeah, that's crazy. Because you've seen the pictures of people like 20 years ago playing Halo. You know, like you got six we, TVs. We've done that. Like for when Monster Hunter World released, I had graduated and we ended up having a LAN party where I brought a TV, my PS4 up to, I think, Ben's apartment. And we had people in multiple rooms going on hunts together. I think we probably had like eight TVs. Wow. And like eight PS4s all playing Monster Hunter. Good stuff. Killing that Kieran. That's the way to do it. Next up, Ryan, we have Super Sonic Speed. The original Game Boy was over twice as fast as the NES, with both having 8-bit CPUs, and with the NES's 2KB and the Game Boy's 8KB, uh, I assume that's kilobytes, it had four times the RAM. Wow. That's impressive. Packed in that powerful little brick, wild stuff, and then last but certainly, certainly not least, we have Hipster Photography. Neil Young, the famed musician, used the previously mentioned Game Boy camera to produce his silver and gold album artwork. The photo was taken by his daughter, Amber. And it's pretty wild stuff. If you look up on Google, Neil Young, silver and gold album art, Mm -hmm. it literally looks like this person took a picture with the Game Boy camera. Oh, yeah, definitely. It looks like like a trippy ass photo. (laughs) So, check it out. Did you learn something new? I did. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know uh, they Game Boys were so, so well-traveled. That's right. Yeah. The Gulf War, space. <laughs> the ocean. Yeah. Who knows? Really wild stuff. Really wild stuff. 7-Up would like to give you a gift of holiday cheer. Just clip four proofs of purchase from two-liter bottles of any refreshing 7-Up product. Take them to Toys R Us. And for just $19.99, you get the new Spot Game Pack for Nintendo Game Boy. A $5 savings. Just in time for Christmas. Put 7-Up in your holiday and make the season bright. Well, since that rounds out all of the fun facts and history with the system, best-selling games, Ryan, I figured we'd touch on our earliest memories with the original Game Boy, if we have any. Okay. So, do you have any memories getting the original Game Boy, or did you have one? I did not, no. I think my parents just skipped right to the Game Boy Color. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I was born in 92, like midway through, and the Game Boy Color came out in 98, uh, making me six. Mm-hmm. So I think they just waited a year after or so to get me that color. So a little too young. Makes but. sense. No, I, I totally get that. And I, like you, got the Game Boy Color the Christmas of 98. I was five years old. But I do remember getting an original Game Boy. It wasn't for Christmas or anything. 
But when my parents got divorced when I was about five years old, I would kind of go back and forth between both houses and portable consoles, obviously easy to bring between both houses. And I forgot my Game Boy Color when my mom picked me up one day. And so we get to her house and I realize I forgot the Game Boy Color. My dad lived about 20 minutes away and she was like, yeah, we're not going to go over. We're not going to go back over to dad's. You got to kind of figure it out. And I said, well, what if we go to Game Crazy? So I can maybe either rent a game from Hollywood Video for my PlayStation at that point, or maybe it probably would have been Blockbuster at that point. I can't really remember. It was, it was a long time ago. But I was like, you know what? Let's let's just try and either go to Game Crazy, Hollywood Video. I can maybe rent a PS2 game. And she said, okay, let's do that. Because that was about maybe five, ten minutes from my mom's house. So we go there and I walk into Game Crazy and they had a kind of glassed in case for a lot of their more rare things some of their handheld consoles and they had an original game boy there for 10 bucks oh wow and i had my copy of game boy yellow that i think i got a couple weeks earlier i got just a cartridge of it because i originally got game boy or pokemon red but my buddy had pokemon yellow version and i love that pikachu follows you around in that game yeah right and so wanted a way to play the that game and with the the original game boy only being ten dollars i'm like oh mom come on it's only 10 bucks she's like yeah but you already have a game boy color why in the world would you need a game boy and i said one it's kind of cool little novelty and it'll at least allow me to play this game for tonight we can always return the game boy later if we need to yeah so she was like okay she kind of begrudgingly bought (laughs) the original game boy for me because it was only 10 bucks And so I remember going home that night and just sitting right under a lamp while my mom, I think her boyfriend at the time and my sister were watching TV in the family room. And I just sat under that lamp for the next five hours playing (laughs) Pokemon Yellow version on that original Game Boy. And at that point in my life, I don't think I'd ever played an original Game Boy. And we kind of hinted at it when we were going through some of the fun facts and the, the history of the system. But there was a little dial on the side of the screen that you could you know, tinker with to change the the tint mm-hmm. of that green screen. Yeah. So I was just messing around with that all night, trying to get it to a place where I could see the best quality picture of Pokemon Yellow version. So I don't even remember after that particular night what I did with that original Game Boy. That memory, though, is just cemented in my brain. Because I wanted a way to be able to play Pokemon Yellow that night. And my mom, I've said it a number of times on this podcast, the rock star that she was and still is to this day. She got me that Game Boy, that original, and I played some uh, Pokemon Yellow version on it. It's crazy it's only 10 bucks. I mean, it started at 90, but I mean, that's close to the cost of renting a game. Yeah. I mean, in that era too, right? I mean, you could go into Game Crazies, into Game Stops, into EB Games, and you could get an end gauge off the shelf and all the games for, you know, 30, 40 bucks, right? Yeah. Now you're going to pay out the ass on eBay for a lot of this stuff. But it is amazing to vividly remember an era where you could walk into a game store, pull an original Game Boy off the shelf for 10 bucks and walk out of the store. It's interesting. So it, it what, it was 89 that the game original Game Boy came out and like five plus or six years later, you're getting it for 10 bucks. It was about what? 10 because I was about eight, nine, 10 years old at the time. Okay. Yeah. And then 20 years after that, it shoots up in price because it, it goes from, oh, it's an old system, like last gen to it's like three or four generations ago and now it's a classic. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So crazy stuff. I, I'd be even more interested to hear other folks' stories. I know we didn't get a lot of emails this this week because we got a lot of emails for our other episode yeah. and we recorded these very close together. But I'd love to hear, get in the Discord. If you do remember getting the original Game Boy for Christmas or a birthday or a couple of years after release, uh, this is the fun, just sharing in, uh, uh, the stories of getting the these consoles. So I'd love to hear from other folks that listen to the podcast. Get in the Discord. Share your Game Boy story. I want to hear about it. But with that being said, let's talk about the games, Ryan. Yes, let's do it. The Game Boy had a whopping 500 plus games that released in North America. We talked about it earlier. I found this website where there were just pages upon pages of the entire North American library that I was just thumbing through, looking at all the box art. If any titles or box art in particular stood out to me, I'd pull up some some footage on on the old YouTube YouTubes. And what I think is so fascinating about this era of games, and, and partially the NES as well, is that you could beat so many of these games in anywhere from like 20 to 40 minutes. Yeah, so I ended up looking through that same list that you sent me, and I can't, I would dwindle it down based off of the same criteria of just cool box art or it's like a cool title down to like 30. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up going through gameplay for all of them and like the range in amount of times to like beat like full walkthroughs. It was like nine hours for RPGs down to like 20 minutes down to like Shaq Fu, which was like nine minutes to mm-hmm. beat all of the characters. Mm-hmm. You're like, it's a huge range. Well, and it's so funny too on the other side of that is I don't remember beating like any games on the Game Boy or Game Boy Color as a kid. No, though I mean, I think on like Game Boy Color I only had mainly platformers and those platformers were really freaking difficult. Yeah. Like they dumbed them down hard. They really did. Yeah, so it's it's wild to me and I mean I I beat Pokémon and you know more into my teenage years I've gone back and and beaten some of those childhood favorites of mine but I still have gets into kind of Game Boy Color territory, but a Pokemon Gold and Silver carrying pouch hmm. for my Game Boy Color, and in it I still had tucked a original piece of computer paper that I'd folded um, into you know however many halves, and I had a bunch of cheat not cheats but level codes. Yeah, because oftentimes you know outside of the the Pokemons and Final Fantasy Legends of the World, where they had an actual save file in it, you just use like little, you know, eight, nine digit codes that you type in to get to level four or whatever. Yeah, I know. I think I might still even have it for like 102 Dalmatians. Mm. It's like you're entering maybe a three or four digit code because they don't have too many levels. And it was like dog paw print, dog bowl, picture of a dog head, Mm -hmm. one level. And then you switch it around between like those different symbols and then you get to the final level pretty quick. Or just randomly just jump in the game. But yeah, good times. Totally different times. It really was. And it makes me so excited to eventually get the analog pocket adapter that I can play these games on my PC monitor because... While I have the analog pocket and the games look phenomenal on that screen, I'm just looking forward to popping them in and playing on this monitor and just tearing through my Game Boy and Game Boy Color backlog. Yeah. Especially because I haven't revisited many of these games in well over 10, 15 years. And to go back and play something on the Game Boy Color like The Road to El Dorado or I'm um, looking over at my shelf there, Lion King, Simba's Mighty Adventure or whatever. Donkey Kong Country. Donkey Kong Land, Donkey Kong Country, 
Um, there's a lot of good gems over there that I'm looking forward to kind of messing through and, and eventually beating and polishing off. So it'll be really good times. But we keep teeing it up, and we're not actually getting to it, Ryan. I want to get to the five games that we would take to a deserted island where we would spend the rest of our life. So before we get into our top five list, do you have any honorable mentions that you want to bring up? Yeah, so this morning when I was re I guess reviewing my list, I actually had one that I kicked out for kind of a strategic move. Um, it's more based off of I had this game as a kid and never beat it. Um, actually, the one after this one, but that was Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle 2. Mm. And I had Crazy Castle 3, and I remember it being so freaking difficult. Um, it's a game where you like collect keys, you're um, trying to get through a door, and you're using like teleporters, and you have obstacles or people walking around that you have to either chuck bombs at or kind of figure your way around with those teleporting doors. And it was so difficult. And I don't, I'm sure adult me could struggle through it and beat it, but I just, little kid me lost hard yeah no i feel Uh, that one of my honorable mentions is a nostalgic choice i almost included it on my list i don't remember getting past the second or third level in this game and that's who framed roger rabbit mm. based on the movie of the same name i love my sister and i loved the movie growing up and i remember my sister getting this game for christmas or her birthday at some point and i remember her just being huddled over my shoulder watching me play trying to get through the game And all I remember is that first level, maybe it was the second, where you're walking through these streets as Roger Rabbit, the the bunny, and there's people in these buildings just like shooting little pellets at you. Hmm. And I just remember never being able to make it past certain streets because you would just get annihilated. And my stepsister, I remember getting through like the third or fourth level and almost getting to the end of the game, but I've never seen credits in this game. I don't even have my copy anymore, and I believe it's a little pricey nowadays to get Roger Rabbit, even just the cart, but I'd like to track down a copy someday. I'd like to roll credits once I get the uh, the dock for the analog pocket, but man, was that game tough as nails, but uh, I remember that song that played. It was kind of reminiscent of the theme of the movie, but that song that played on loop was super catchy. And Roger Rabbit's the one where it's like half cartoons mm-hmm. and like half real people. Half live action. Yeah. yeah. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the only other one, I mean, out of a list of maybe like 15 platformers, it was just going with a classic, which was Mario Land 2. That's actually on my honorable mention list. Nice. Yeah. So good pick. I, I've played it through that game a number of times. I believe that was also one of the games as part of the 3DS Ambassador list of games that came no it wasn't because that was nes and gba i guess i just downloaded through the virtual console super mario land 2 the six golden coins on my 3ds but great little platformer really fun times i also my third and final honorable mention was just one of the donkey kong land games okay those earlier i mean it like kind of predated the donkey kong country games i think Maybe it actually came after Donkey Kong Country, but it was basically playing Donkey Kong Country on your Game Boy. Graphically, not did not look so hot, but I actually think that David Wise of Donkey Kong Country music composition fame, he may have actually composed the soundtracks to those little Game Boy games too. Yeah, I looked at that one as well, and the graphics surprisingly hold up better than I expected them to. Mm-hmm. But it's still got that blur because of the the density of pixels. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, for yeah. sure. But Ryan, let's let's go through our top five games. I did rank mine. One being the one I I cannot live on that island without. Mm-hmm. Five uh, is you know I could live without, but man, I still want it with me. So why don't we go five to one? Okay. What is your number five game? My number five that kicked out Bugs Bunny um, is a game that I can play basically until I die on this island, which is a four and one fun pack of chess checkers reversi i've never heard of that game but backgammon as well oh okay so with my grandpa on my mom's side he was really into backgammon like competitive backgammon online Um, we went on an armenian cruise and were actually in backgammon tournaments back in the day when we were kids Um, and i i love the crap out of backgammon it's a lot of fun Um, and then checkers i was the best in third grade. I beat Mitchell Lothis in our championship. So suck it. Nice. <laughs> I'm the best. Um, I and then chess. I have plenty of time to learn it. I I've never really learned chess well. I know what the the pieces do, but it's half the if battle, I haven't man. what? So it's half the battle. No one. It is do. yes. So figuring it out would be a lot of fun. Okay. Cool. Good. And stuff. That, that's more the strategic of I can play this unlimited. And like with unlimited time um, to kind of compensate for some of those shorter games that I have on my list. Okay, cool. Well, my number five game is actually exclusive to Japan, if I'm not mistaken. It's very pricey. It's a game I've never played. I do not own, but I can kind of live vicariously through the YouTube long plays out there. And that's a little cute, adorable platformer developed by Sunsoft called Trip World. Mm, okay. You play as this adorable little creature, almost looks like a mouse to, to a certain degree, and it's a short 2D platformer, has some of the best music on the Game Boy, truly does. Uh, you might be able to spot a Trip World song in the medley as we fade out the show with those great tunes. But I don't know how to describe it outside of, it seems to maybe borrow inspiration from like Kirby's Adventure on the NES, But it's just an adorable side-scrolling little platformer that you can beat in probably 20 to 30 minutes. It's not very long, but just an exceptional soundtrack for the Game Boy. And this, to me, would just be one of those games that I continue to retreat to, like, if, you know, we'll eventually do the PlayStation 1, but this would be, like, my classic Disney platformer on the ps1 that i'd want to retreat to as kind of just like a happy-go-lucky bring a smile to my face kind of get that uh just wholesome little experience on an island that's you've you just caught a fish you cooked it really well and you're laying back under your palm tree kind of hut and this is the game you go to that's right just going to trip world nice that's right just <laughs> retreating to trip world so that's my number five all right i guess my number four um there's a few games in this genre um so i did the kind of board games with the, my number five, and I really wanted to do uh, kind of a sports game. And there's a lot of games that are one-word sports, but I went with golf. Okay. Um, there are a few different golf games that I saw in there. Um, there's Ultimate Golf. There's like Sports Illustrated Golf Classic. And I just went with the plain generic golf, mm. though it has Mario on the cover. Um, the other golfs that I was seeing, they're co- more colored. Um, but I didn't like the, I guess the gameplay as much. Mm. Golf is just the generic top down. You have that slider of how far you hit all the way back to your second hit. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
It's got two courses, so not the lengthiest of games. But, dude, you would be a master at those oh, two courses. I could spin the crap out of that ball. Mm. I could hit it in the rough and then hole in one it from there. Or hole in two. Yeah. Birdie it. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> fucking golf <laughs> Golf <training>. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, no, I... Like, similar to you, retreating into your golf games that are probably significantly longer than that. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a good time to play golf. Yeah, so interesting little fact here. So, back, way back when, when some of the first games I ever played were on the original Nintendo, the mm-hmm. NES. My dad, we only had like three or four games that I remember. One of them being Mario Duck Hunt, Super Mario Brothers 3, Tecmo Super Bowl, and Golf. Yeah, this... Uh, because I was looking at the dates that it came out, and this came out in 84. Mm. So well, it was from the Famicom. Yeah, so on the NES it came out in 84, but mm-hmm. the Game Boy didn't exist until 89. So yeah, 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 yeah. So th- it's a port. Good stuff. Um, Good stuff. Well, my number four, taking uh, a little bit of a different approach there, uh, no pun intended, Final Fantasy Adventure. Okay. So yeah, it's a good one. You need an RPG when an on- you're on an island. This is a pretty beefy boy on the Game Boy. Uh, one I haven't played, but dang, watching gameplay, listening to this music, do I want to now? Exceptional exceptional soundtrack. The the menu music to Final Fantasy Adventure, I feel like there's been many renditions and remasters of that tune because I've heard that song in so many RPG compilations over the years, mm-hmm. but I just never knew what game it was from. And so if you've never seen gameplay of Final Fantasy Adventure, it's an action RPG very similar to the original Legend of Zelda on the NES. Okay. You do level up and allocate stats to various attributes though, which I thought was pretty interesting. So you have like power, wisdom, stamina. It's your action RPG. So as you see little enemies come come kind of towards you, you just kind of whack your little sword, you accumulate XP, and right there on the screen it says level up and kind of prompts you to allocate like a skill point to one of four different attributes. So I guess I missed this one. I was the one that caught my eye was the Final Fantasy Legends. Mm-hmm. Is that like a turn-based version of Adventures? I Are th- they in the same realm? Do you know? Sort of. I mean, I think Final Fantasy Legends, I didn't really look up gameplay of those games, but I think those are turn-based RPGs. It's turn-based. Yeah, so Final Fantasy Adventure, a couple, I guess, quick fun tidbits about this one. Many listeners are probably already well aware, but for those that are not, this was actually known as Seiken Densetsu in Japan, and later it was released in Europe as Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, which was a spin-off of the Mana series. So okay. if you've heard of Dawn of Mana, Secret of Mana, Sword of Mana, things like that, a remake of Final Fantasy Adventure titled Sword of Mana was later released on the Game Boy Advance in 2003. Oh, okay. So it's a little different flavor of Final Fantasy than what we were used to at that time. Okay, and it's mainly turn-based at that time? Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, so it had more of an action RPG style, definitely drawing inspiration from that from the original Legend of Zelda. But this was one that really stood out to me. I I've played the Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening. I'm not as big a fan as other folks are. I remember playing it originally on the 3DS Virtual Console, and that was the DX version, which re-released on the Game Boy Color later down the line. But the top-down Legend of Zelda games just don't do as much for me. Yeah, um, I would like that to change a little bit if they ever found a way to kind of remaster the Oracle of Ages and Seasons games in the similar way that they did 
for Link's Awakening on the Switch, but I don't know, Final Fantasy Adventure just had a different type of flavor to it that really seemed to strike a chord with me from the gameplay that I was watching. No, that's a good pick. For so, sure. need that meaty RPG while you're on an island, but uh, yeah, good stuff there. What is your number three? My number three is I got to hit the platformer genre. And I could have gone with like a Donkey Kong or a Mario, um, but I went with something that I've played a little bit of, but have never gotten through, um, which is Mega Man 5. Oh, wow. Okay. So a more difficult uh, platformer. I, I want to say I played on a Super Nintendo, one of the original Mega Mans at my grandma's, um, but it was just a very difficult game. So being able to master a Mega Man... I don't know who I'd be bragging to on this deserted island. Maybe some of my animal friends or like a volleyball. Yeah. But yeah, I I think going through this one would be a lot of fun. Good pick. Yeah. Good on you for really challenging yourself. I didn't, when I was building out this list, I thought of having a more challenging game. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know what, man? No, I'm going to stick it. I'm going to keep it pretty (laughs) simple because how I envision this, Ryan, is someday down the line, we're going to return to this segment multiple times over the next you know several years but like maybe two years from now we'll have done the destiny island challenge segment for like four handheld consoles maybe four or five home consoles and we're basically building out our top five library for every console known to humans that we're gonna have on this island so Mm. imagine my game room here but i'm on an island and i can only have five games for every console that's out there that's kind of how I envision this. Okay. And then we have to pick a top five, top 10 from that list. No, not really. I mean, I'm saying like we have every console known to man. We're sitting on this island in some shack somewhere, but we only have five games for each console. Okay. That we can play for the rest of our lives. Yeah. I mean, Mega Man's going to be a challenge. Um, as far as like golf's not a challenging game for me. I mean, chess will be challenging, but like that's more of a relaxing one. Mega Man's kind of my like, hey, if you want a challenge at the end of the night or if you're you just feel like it, um, I have my kind of comfort food game, which is coming up next. But. OK. And my thought with this that I didn't really articulate is if there is if there's a game that's not here on the Game Boy that people are saying, like, really, you're not going to have a Mario game on the Game Boy? I'm thinking, yeah, but when we did the Super Nintendo, there's Super Mario World or when we do the Wii. I can have Super Mario Galaxy, right? Okay. So I have that kind of vision in mind when I'm building out my list that like, you know what? Mega Man 5, good pick, but there's always that Mega Man Legends on PS1. Shit. I need to go look at my lists now. So <laughs> See what what uh, what I've covered so far. Exactly. I really kind of have that in mind when I'm building out my list because if there's some series that's not here now, well, I, I can pick up. I can pick up one of the games in the series later on when we do a different console. Mm, so good, good call. Good yeah. Call. Yep. So what is your number three? My number three is uh, I would maybe consider this a little bit of an obscure game, a game I don't own but would love to, and that's Konami's Kid Dracula. Okay, I've never heard of this one. Honestly, it was between this and Castlevania Two: Belmont's Revenge, but I just can't get over how stinking charming the character designs are in Kid Dracula. Okay. What is this an RPG or a platformer? So it's a platformer. It's a self-parody of the Castlevania series. Oh. And it's not really meant to be canonical to the series as as far as I know, but it's a 2D side-scrolling platforming game. And what I found most interesting about this, especially when compared to Castlevania 2 on the Game Boy, is, you know, Castlevania 2 when you're playing Simon Belmont wandering around these levels, 
in a side-scrolling fashion, I feel like that camera's kind of zoomed out a bit. Yeah. But Kid Dracula, you play as this cute little, I mean, child Dracula, and the camera's just so zoomed in on the character in the game, Mm -hmm. it just seems to kind of create this unique platforming, more personal experience. That's cool. So, kind of a fun little soundtrack, too. Really, really good stuff. I feel like they definitely tone down the kind of more darker soundtrack that you'll get in a Castlevania game to kind of make it more in line with that Kid Dracula feel. Okay. That's that's a good pick. So, yeah, look up some Not, gameplay footage. Yeah, I'll definitely have to look at how close you're referring to, because I've only play, I've played maybe two Castlevania games, and so I can picture that camera. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah, so good stuff, Kid Dracula. I haven't played it myself, but, man, I'm taking it to an island with me. Very nice. So what is your number two? My number two um, is a longer game. Uh, it is estimated around 29 hours to go through the full game. Dang. Uh, came out end of the console life in 97. And that is Harvest Moon Game Boy. Oh, I almost picked this one. <laughs> um, I feel like, I think I played some of the Harvest Moon or watched Lorne play a good amount. Um, I feel like farming simulators have a ton of just relaxing gameplay, picking up weeds, picking up rocks, going mining. Um, the graphics are I mean, Game Boy, but still look kind of resemble what you'd see in later generations. For sure. The, I was the concept pretty, was pretty solid. I was pretty impressed with the Harvest Moon gameplay on the Game Boy. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I'd probably be farming in real life, but I'd get my farming strategy from the game, for sure. Great I, pick. Yeah. I like it, yeah. I almost picked this one, but kind of going back to the whole Mega Man comment that I had, they evolved the series so much, especially like Harvest Moon 64. I know a lot of people talk that that's one of the best in the series just because I think that's the first home console version of Harvest Moon. So I'm holding out. Harvest Moon will probably show up on a list in a future Destiny Island Challenge segment for me. Okay, nice. So my number two is maybe my favorite puzzle game ever. I've played an absurd amount of this game. Speaking of 3DS Ambassador games, I know that this game came as part of the NES little bundle of games, and that's Yoshi. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was looking at this as well. This is a Tetris clone of sorts. You have falling blocks similar to Tetris, except instead of blocks, they're little popular Mario enemies. Mm -hmm. So you have Goombas, you have Boos, you have Piranha Plants falling. You kind of have to move them around strategically. And then you also have two halves of Yoshi eggshells. So you basically try and create the bottom of the shelf and the top of the shelf sandwich between all of the enemies to rack up a high score. And that's similar to like maxing out a line in Tetris and having it go away. Exactly. Yeah. Super addicting. I, I I just remember so many nights climbing into my bunk and either playing one of the many Dragon Quest DS games and grinding those out while watching some show on Netflix or Avatar The Last Airbender or something like that. Or I popped in my boy Yoshi on the 3DS and just played that puzzle game until, man, I started seeing sheep, you know, bouncing around and started falling asleep. Yeah, I was looking at this one as well. When I see the word Yoshi, I'm expecting, like, Yoshi to be running around in the game. Um, But totally wasn't what I was expecting, but looked like it could be a lot of fun. Yeah, so great little puzzle game. I think there is a... 
I think it might be called Yoshi's Cookie on the NES, or maybe it's just called Yoshi and those are two separate games. I'm not entirely sure, but needed that game to take with me on the island because I just need a mindless puzzle game to get that addicting little puzzle game fix. Yeah, no, that's a good one. And if I had to venture to guess, Ryan, if I was a betting man, which I'm not really, no gambling on this side of the town, but I feel like our number one is probably pretty similar or under the same umbrella. Yeah, Mortal Kombat is, it had three that I saw on the uh, the platform. So the more difficult question, which, which, which Mortal Kombat game did you select? I went with the, probably the most violent one, which is Pokemon Yellow, Red, and Blue. Nice. Which yeah. version are you actually selecting? That one, I don't even know if I have an answer. So my thought process is, with Yellow version, you start out with Pikachu, which is great, and you can get all the starters. But replayability-wise having three different starting Pokemon for like challenge runs and type thing, I might want to go with blue version. Okay. Yeah. Well, I might have to swim over to your island someday because I'm taking Pokemon red version. Okay. And how the hell are we going to complete that Pokedex without a friend? That's true. We might need to like immediately start a raft to complete the Pokedex. Dude, listen, go grab two coconuts. I'll I'll call my girl Kyrie. She'll build out a list for us. Okay. Okay. We'll race our boy Riku so we can name the ship. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. We got this all locked down, all right? <laughs> all of a sudden, there's a dude in a black coat in your cave. <laughs> yeah. This isn't our first rodeo, all right? Yeah. We've, we've crashed, landed on an island before. Um, no, yeah. I, I feel like this game is a must if you have a Game Boy. Yeah. Um, the OG Pokemon. We've talked about Pokemon in length. I've never talked about Pokemon on this podcast, but if I were to start here... Mm-hmm. Um, the I have so many good memories with this game. This was the kind of the playboy or not playboy. Oh, the, boy. <laughs> the, the playboy of Pokemon. What Pokemon games were you playing on the playground? Machop in all spandex. But yeah. um, this was the uh, Pokemon game that we played on the playgrounds and battled. You had people just coming up with ridiculous teams trying to fight it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I love this game. I, Plus, I mean, obviously we're coming to this island with all of our memories and just being able to revisit that, you know, Pallet Town, Cerulean City, uh, the forest. I mean, there's just so many. Meridian Forest. Meridian Forest, thank you. There's so many memorable tunes here that would really take us back and, you know, kind of ease our minds that, yo, I'm going to be literally sucking coconut juice for the next like 60 years. (laughs) Yeah. And then you, I mean, there's a lot of weird glitchy stuff you can do. Um, You can get Mew. Um, right before the sec- Misty's Gym. And the same way that you do that glitch, there's tons of other Pokemon that you can get um, that way. So there's lots of game that most people probably didn't explore, and they have time to do it. Yeah, and as you've done many times over throughout the DS Pokemons, the Switch Pokemons, the Game Boy Color Pokemons, whatever it might be, you can always play a game within the game. Yes. Right? Yeah, whether it's a Nuzlocke, whether it's a Pikachu-only run. Um, like, if you do yellow version, Pikachu-only runs are really difficult. Mm-hmm. Especially going up the first gym versus Brock. Like, I started a Pikachu-only run on my DS kind of ported version of yellow. And you have to, just to get a move off, because your electricity versus rock is no good, um, you have to get slam at level 20. So mm. there, there's a lot of grinding, a lot of challenge, figuring out how you deal with some of the later like fire gyms and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of games you can do, play within the game. Absolutely. Great pick. 
That's another one I cannot wait to dock my analog pocket, revisit my classic Pokemon. I no longer have my my red version. Actually, here's a fun little story. So many, many moons ago, when my mom would pick my sister and I up from school, we'd always go to, not always, but more often than not, we'd stop at Wendy's. I'd get my junior bacon cheeseburger with my four chicken nuggets and a small Mm -hmm. fry. Okay. And one of the, they're not called Happy Meal toys, but one of the toys that you got as part of your Wendy's kids meals. Yeah, Dave's toys. Exactly. (laughs) What's up, Dave Thomas? Uh, It was like this little Looney Tunes safe. It was like a little pink safe that had a little door on it. Okay. And it was big enough that I could fit like three or four of my Game Boy carts in it. Oh, no. So I just remember packing to go visit my grandparents one, one weekend with my mom. And I remember being in my bedroom, putting my three or four Game Boy Color cards. It was a Hot Wheels game, my Game Boy or my Pokemon Red version, Toy Story 2, and I think one other Game Boy game that I had at the time. I put them in this little red safe. I put it in my bag. We drive up to visit my grandparents. I get out of the car and I don't know what happened. I don't know if we stopped at a gas station and it fell out of the car. I don't know what happened. All I know with absolute certainty is that I still had my teal Game Boy Color, but that little red safe with my Game Boy Color games was nowhere to be found, and I never found it again. That's disappointing. So I had, and I wasn't like, you know, at the Elite Four or had a full Pokedex or anything like that. I mean, let's be real, folks. It took me two and a half weeks to get out of the freaking house in the beginning of Pokemon. I was going to say, that was one of the first stories you told on the first episode that... It took you weeks to get out of your room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I exaggerate, but I that's I did had no idea what was going on in that game when I was a five year old kid. So I never got super far or anything like that. But man, when you pick that Charmander or you pick that Squirtle, or you pick that Bulbasaur, that's sacred. Yeah, I mean, you grow attached to those Pokemon. And that save file, I mean, that's like you know a childhood work of art. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's everything to you as a kid. Yeah, I don't think. I, I know I bought a red version. I think I still have my blue version at the parents. Um, but yeah, I don't think I ever reset my original team. Yeah. So really upsetting, but hey, I, I can start a new save. I can, I can you know, start from square one again. It's just, uh, it kills me that I don't have those original carts. Yeah. No, I know? feel that. And to this day, I still have no idea what happened to it. So hope that hopefully someday I'll be driving down the highway and I just see this <laughs> nasty moldy ass little Looney Tunes thing on the side of the road and I'll stop and get it and uh, be reunited with your Charmander. Yeah, man. It's like, you know, you, you, it's when you it's kind of like when you uh, do one of those little like little uh, boxes that you stuff a whole bunch of childhood stuff into. Oh, yeah. Time capsule. Yeah. A little time capsule. Hopefully I'll find those Game Boy cards someday. Hold out hope. Man. Yep. That's right. But speaking of holding out hope, Ryan, that was a great list of five games from the both of us. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Really, really good stuff. Great picks on both sides. We have some good games to play on an island. We do. I need to reevaluate my strategy to more align with future consoles and current picks on other consoles. That's right. right. Bear that in mind before you make your selections for our next segment. Will do. But uh, it wouldn't quite be... A Destiny Island Challenge segment, Ryan, if we didn't have some listener picks. No, it would not. So we got three emails here. The first, we actually started reading this email during our last episode because this person included both the remasters and remake picks and his Game Boy picks here. So I'm going to reread the beginning of this email because I feel like it, it kind of applies to this Desert Island Game Boy segment here. So he says, this is from Alex. 
also known as Return to Mother Base, out there on the old YouTubes, and he says, Hope you don't mind me combining, because he combined for both last episode and this. He said, First off, listen here, Rusty. I had a great list all prepared, one for the ages. You'll be begging to be on a desert island with me because of this list. It was that good. Then came the hand of reality slapping away my dreams while cackling original Game Boy only. Such wasted potential. Anyway, pending save batteries last forever in your fantasy island, which they do, by the way. Yes, that's good. His first pick is Tetris for the brain activity. Keep his mind okay, going. Good choice. Good choice. choice. Number two, Super Mario Land, the six golden coins for the whimsy. One of the best platformers I've ever played to this day, he says. Wow, that's a lofty claim. Dang. Good thing we included in our honorable mentions. He probably has not played ukulele. Probably hasn't played <laughs> ukulele yet. Uh, number three, he says, for whom the frog tolls for the region exclusivity. I don't know if I've heard of that one. I have, I've heard for whom the bell tolls. I've heard of that phrase before. Metallica song. Um, interesting pick. Okay. Number four, he says Pokemon Red because Charizard is the best Pokemon, second to Farfetch'd of the OG generation. I don't know if I'd put Farfetch up there with Charizard. <laughs> <laughs> Him and his lentil or whatever. Yeah. But uh, Charizard's a good one. <laughs> it is a good one. It is a good one. Uh, number five, he says Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 for the Metroid-style turtle power. Nice. I also prefer the 3D version of Samus Returns. Or three, the 3DS version of Samus Metroid, or blah, 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 Samus Returns. Yeah, Metroid 2 is a weird game on the Game Boy. I've, I've played it, but I've heard that Samus Returns, the remake on the 3DS, is far superior. Uh, that's kind of why I did not include Metroid 2 on my list. Okay. So Yeah, I haven't played any Metroid. Thanks for writing in, Alex. Yeah, really appreciate it. Next, we have our good friend Josh, also known as Josh Prep, out there on Twitter. He titles the email Top 5 Game Boy Games. Good afternoon, Otaku Brothers. The Game Boy and I have a bit of a history, given the Game Boy Pocket was my first video game device, and over the years, I've been learning about its well-known library of classics along with hidden gems. Based on what I've played, these are my top five games to have on a deserted island. Number one, Tetris. What can I say? Just hours of endless entertainment that I can get addicted to, even now on modern platforms. Good pick. Number two, Pokemon Yellow Version. Essentially, the director's cut of the original Pokemon Red and Blue, with quite a bit of replay value given that you can get all three original starters, and Gary has different teams of Pokemon each playthrough to help make sessions exciting. Oh, I didn't know that his team changed up. I did not know either. I think that's worth chrono correction cornering and fact-checking. I might need to look that up. That's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. Number three, Mario's Picross. This is a bit biased, but I'm a huge fan of Picross, and Mario's Picross just scratches that itch. I almost included Mario's Picross over Yoshi for me, but there's a little uh, Picross 3D game on the, three, uh, the Nintendo DS that okay. I think is the definitive Picross game. So when we end up getting to the Nintendo DS, spoiler alert, it'll probably be one of my picks. Number four, Mole Mania. One of the hidden gems on the Game Boy that is just such a unique puzzle game utilizing the concept of above and below ground gameplay that will make you say, just one more puzzles, or just one more puzzle before calling it a day. 
Good stuff. Number five, Donkey Kong 94. The Game Boy has no shortage of platformers available on the system, and while some mm-hmm. almost made the cut, such as Castlevania 2, Belmont's Revenge, Wario Land 1 and 2, Kirby, and Mario Land 2, but DK deserves this final spot. The unique level design in Mario's multitude of abilities has each level feeling like an exciting new challenge to jump into. Plus, if a Super Game Boy washes ashore on your little fantasy island, you'll have such you'll have a game that was fully created with that in mind. I almost use one of my picks for the Super Game Boy okay. because the Super Game Boy was basically a cartridge that you could put your Game Boy cartridges into your Super Nintendo and play them on your TV. Oh, cool. A little cool device there. And Josh says, happy gaming, Josh Prep. Thanks for writing in, Josh. Thank you. Great picks. Really good stuff. And then finally, certainly, last but not least, we have our boy Dean, also known as Irish Steeler. He says, hey guys, hope you're both well. Here are five games I played a lot. While looking back while I played or about what I played on this system, it occurred to me that this definitely... This is definitely where my love for side-scrolling platformers came from. So thanks for the nostalgia kick. It brought back some good memories hearing the tunes for these games. My games I'd bring to a desert island are Dr. Franken, fun platformer where you play as Frankenstein collecting body parts of his girlfriend. Weird that I played this as a child, but always (laughs) thought it was fun shooting lightning from Frankenstein's fingers. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a fun pick. Number four, Home Alone 2. I don't think I need to say anything more about this one. I agree, and I listen to the music, the title screen music for Home Alone 2, and it is that signature John Williams theme oh, in cool. 8-bit Game Boy sprite form, which is awesome. Number three, Tetris. I'd bring this on a desert island only because of its high replayability, and I just love the music. Tetris music is good. It is really good. There's some really good remixes out there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Number two, Earthworm Jim. This game is an absolute blast and one I would ha- I I would have included in my remaster list. Okay, interesting. Good pick. And number 1, Jurassic Park. This game was almost never out of my Game Boy. The last level kicked my ass and I only completed this game finally when I was in my late teens. Fun revisiting this system but also mind-blowing to remember how short some of these games were considering the price. But the replayability and fun had me playing them, or and fun had playing them will never be matched. Thanks for the nostalgia trip, guys. Go Steelers! Hell yeah, <laughs> Dean! We got a preseason game tonight against the Seattle Seahawks. We'll see how it goes. But um, you know, we talked about it earlier. He said it's it's amazing how short some of these games were. Yeah, given the price, I mean, sixty bucks for like twenty minutes or thirty minutes of gameplay. It's like, oh, okay, I'm two dollars a minute. If yeah, can, you play it once. Can you imagine that? That's crazy. Like if were they sixty bucks for original Game Boy games? Some of those NES, Game Boy, N sixty four, Super Nintendo. I mean, some of those games were like ninety dollars. Oh, I guess I don't. I guess my parents were paying for them. So, but yeah. Can you imagine your parents getting you like a ninety dollar game for Christmas and then playing tw- it in thirty minutes and putting it down? Like, hey, I want another game. Yeah, twenty minutes later, said, "Hey, I beat it. What's up next?" 
I'd be like, fuck off. Yeah, just <laughs> slap him in the back of the head. <laughs> Learn how to replay it. Restart that shit. Yeah, read a book, you stooge. <laughs> yeah. Um, You're grounded. <laughs> great Merry stuff. Christmas. Thank you so much for writing in, Dean, Josh, and Alex. I was hoping we'd get a few more people, but man, we got so many listener write-ins for our last uh, yeah. last episode, so no big deal. And as we come to the tail end of the show, hopefully everyone learned something new about the Game Boy. Hopefully it was fun for you to kind of reminisce and remember those fond memories, either playing your Game Boy or even your Game Boy Color. Ryan and I in the future will tackle the Game Boy Color and you know Game Boy Advance and all the fun handheld systems in between. So stay tuned for all of that fun stuff in the future. We hope this episode found you well and it was entertaining for all of you good people out there. But as we come to the tail end of any Otaku Brothers episode, you know how we got to do it. I got to pass it over to my brother-in-law and ask him, Ryan, we've had a lot of fun facts already, but can you squeeze in one more? I can. So did you know there's such thing as pink snow? I didn't. I've heard of yellow snow before. Yes, I've heard of yellow snow a lot. Um, but there's actually, it's a thing called watermelon snow. And it's on certain mountain ranges, but it's actually algae, an algae bloom. Um, you mean algae? No, I've heard the people, I've heard it both ways. Okay. Algae and algae. All right. It depends. Tomato, but, tomato. Yeah, algae bloom. Um, so in the winter, it's actually dormant. But in the summer, with all the extra sunlight, it comes to the surface and it causes it to germinate. And because of the red color, it actually protects it from UV. So it just it makes the snow or the mountaintop look pink. And then um, because it's absorbing that light instead of reflecting it, it actually causes um, the snow to melt so that it can get some water. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, really interesting fun fact. I mean, mm-hmm. this is an educational program. You learn about Game Boy fun facts. You learn about Pink Snow. I mean, Pink Snow. Really. You, just, <laughs> you can't even plan for this. It's just crazy nope. stuff. But you also have to stay for the tail end of the show because we fade out with great tunes. And today is a special occasion. I probably should have even marketed it more because I'm sure 80% of the people that press play in the beginning have already tuned out, but we have a 10-song Game Boy medley to treat all of the listener ears. Ryan and I had a fun time listening to it. I had a... We're at the tail end and I can't talk anymore. I had a hell of a time putting this medley together. So I hope you enjoy it. 10 songs from the Game Boy. I would consider this kind of the, the best of tracks that I found out there on YouTube. So I hope you enjoy. Ryan and I will be back in a couple weeks once I'm back from vacation for more Otaku Brothers episodes for all of you wonderful people. Stay safe, keep playing those great video games, and we'll see you real soon. See ya.